I'm Caddy. And I'm Eunice. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. like to take this time to acknowledge that this studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands that we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the Indigenous communities of that area. Hi, Eunice. Hi, Caddy. This week, uh, we had a lovely little treat, and uh, we got to read The Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe. How ready are you to jump in to talk about this book? I'm very excited. I have a lot of good things to say. (laughs) (laughs) That's really exciting. Um, So so let's talk about this book. So so, uh, last night at the the Telegraph Club, I'm going to call it the Telephone Club. It's not because I, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's a Freudian slip. But um, so beautiful story about uh, Lily, who is a young um, teenager going into her senior year of high school um, in 1950, San Francisco. Um, So Mm -hmm. McCarthyism, uh, Red Scare, Cold War, all these fun things are the backdrop for this coming of age story for a young, uh, shall we say, a very butch inclined uh, young lesbian and sort of the discovery of the lesbian underworld uh, happening in San Francisco. And this is a love story and a historical deep dive into a period that I knew nothing about, uh, if I'm mm-hmm. being quite honest. And I found it incredibly informative and incredibly emotionally engaging. Um, there's this beautiful story of just a character coming into herself and discovering, and and it's like it's like it's not so much discovering, but like, it's like doors open in such a human logical way where, where her identity sort of reveals itself to her. It's almost like a gift that's being offered to her by, by the universe. Uh, All this because uh, at the very beginning of the book, she falls onto uh, an ad in a newspaper for a male impersonator who works at a very, very cool sounding lesbian bar called uh, the the Telegraph Club. How'd you feel about this one, Eunice? Yeah, um, I feel like I don't read too many um, YA historical fiction anymore. Um, I'm very much like, well versed in contemporary and even a little fantasy. But um, historical fiction is something that I actually read a lot of um, as a kid or like growing up and we can talk about that (laughs) and um yeah and so but like lately I have not man I wish this was a book that was around when I was younger everything you were saying about how like this is a period of history that I do don't know super well but also like I know what I know from schools 
And uh, yeah, so just um, the wonderful thing about historical fiction is that you, that it's like, it's a period piece. So you're really like, there is world building in it, but it's just a different type of world building. Um, And you want the reader to be immersed in that, um, in that period, that era that you're writing about. Um, and I thought uh, Melinda Lowe did that really well. And especially in talking about like the 50s, where like, <laughs> I think like traditionally, it's um, seen as a very like, rigid, like social conventions, very uptight, very gendered, very, um, you know, like that whole thing, like Greece, come on, like, <laughs> the way the 50s are re- represented. Um, that was 100% my reference point. Exactly. So like, to see that era um, explored through this book, through a completely different lens, lens that's feminist, um, you know, queer, and like, yeah, so, um, and uh, through an Asian American lens, like, all of that just made it so, oh, so good. Um, and yeah, like growing up, I all the historical fiction that I read was basically like World War II. <laughs> um, like, you know, very white, very, like, very traditional. Kind of trauma porny at time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever yeah. it wasn't the story about a white person, it ends up being very traumatic. Mm-hmm. It ends up being about their experiences of being cast aside. Whereas here we kind of get that flavor of like, you know, the group of friends that Lily has is really important. And and as always, I think celebrating friendships in, in, in novels is, is crucial. Um, but I think that there's something really sweet about discovering a reality through not this like aspirational like I want to get out of here everything is suffocating it's like this is this is the character's reality and she's just living it period and she wants mm-hmm. different things and 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 yeah. she's got very much of a stem kind of bent to to her character um and which is really exciting and everything I've ever seen about the 50s I mean I'm very very embarrassed to say that other than like enter the dragon I think think I don't think I've seen any movies set in the 50s that aren't focused on white characters or and like in literature even less so uh you know war stories never really spoke to me I kind of always like the the like soft syrupy romances of like mid 70s and like until you get to that like sweet valley high kind of like representation of of adolescence and I found mm-hmm. that this actually melded really well into it because it's you get that sense of romance mm-hmm. through this incredible longing that Lily's character feels throughout the book right it's like she's she longs for love yeah. really like she comes from a family where her parents mm-hmm. are very obsessed with the appearance but that's also because they are immigrants at a time when I have a feeling that mm-hmm. being Asian American was not very easy, you know, and, and especially coming out of, you know, World War II where, you know, internment camps and, and things like yeah. that. Like the reality is that this book sits at the like historically at like a the 50s, I think, are like a springboard into the 60s, you know, like the the, the 40s were rough and, yeah. and, and imprinted with war and then 
you fall into the 50s and then you fall into this rigidity that becomes ultimately suffocating, which leads to the 60s as, you know, we mm-hmm. know them historically. So yeah. so there is something interesting in having this whole new perspective because San Francisco originally, I mean, I, I, I dug up a little bit of information on the city, but historically San Francisco is an incredibly Asian American city, period, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if uh, I don't know how uh, how yeah. well your knowledge of San Francisco in the fifties, <laughs> uh, how far that goes. But it's super interesting to see that like the city was basically built. You know, it's a port city, uh, important hub during World War Two, yeah. uh, and all that. Like you know, as as someone who grew up in the nineties, to me, San Francisco was always about like Full House and then tech as as that mm-hmm. became a thing so hearing these stories yeah. of like of families who have been established for a while and who are fully in, immersed in in both in american culture and in asian american culture at the same time and and i found that really delightful yeah, yeah. i loved it it was um like you said like when you when you see like the 50s depicted in pop culture and and i even knew about like san francisco being like this hub of um like with chinatown it being like such a big chinatown and the immigration like and um just the way that like that's how a lot of um chinese immigrants um like who are migrant workers right came through they came through san francisco um and I like knew about that, but I could never like, this is the other thing about growing up reading historical fiction with like white main characters is that like, you're like, oh, like that's their history. Like that's like white people's history in America. Like there were no Asians or like there were no, you know, like, like, (laughs) um, yeah. So I think that that's something that like really stuck out to me. I was like, but yeah, like there were Chinese people there were Asian people who dressed in um like that in the period clothing like there were they wore the those dress the circle skirts and like you know like the Peter Pan collar like you know like to just like kind of read that and see that on on the page I'm just like wow like there is visibility there and that was really cool because yeah honestly like there was none of that. There's none of that like representation in like pop culture. So yeah. Yeah, that's entirely true. I think it was it was super exciting to like, it sounds really goofy. But like, how often do you see like, how often do we get a group of generally first generation, uh, first American born, uh, you know, or like, yeah, yeah, first American first, uh, first generation born in the US, having a picnic. Mm-hmm. Talking about like the sock hop and like <laughs> and you know while eating soy sauce chicken and like that brought me a lot of joy <laughs> as a reader to be like oh I have this weird madman kind of you know mm-hmm. imagination situation happening because of pop culture and and transforming yeah. that really made it interesting. I also really like the the depiction of um, the amount of fashion talk in this book. Mm-hmm. the emphasis on the clothing it actually it made me think of Teffer a whole lot um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um there's so yeah. much at <laughs> that trip to Macy's between uh Lily and her mom is just so mm-hmm. 
cool. You know, like we have this very clear yeah. idea, very like, again, very, very miracle on 34th street kind of impression, but like very clean cookie cutter counters with, with all these like fancy ladies wearing like satin blouses and whatever who are like pulling out gloves <laughs> one at a time from 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 a big kind of show box I guess um and it's so neat to all of a sudden have this character who is so aware that she's the only Asian American person in the space and feels like she sticks out like a sore thumb, but also understands and relates to her mother uh, and understands why her mother shows up in the way that she does and, and, and that certain harshness that she has, you know, we tend to, we tend to, I don't want to say dumb down characters from the past, but we sometimes forget to give them the depth that we all believe that we have today. Like it's like, we have the vocabulary for certain things that wasn't necessarily as widely spread before, but it doesn't mean that those situations didn't exist. And that one scene at the Macy's made me think of going to Eaton's uh, and the Bay, uh, the most, <laughs> you know, before going back to school with my very African mother in mm -hmm. a department store and feeling that sense of like, we're walking a line between two cultures and I don't know where I fit, right? I know yeah. where she fits. I know where all the nice white ladies fit, but where do I fit within that? And that, that sense of kind of navigating in between worlds is really, really neat. Yeah. Um, the richness of like the different like family structures, family uh, like, and just like the variety of the different people that made up this community was also very um, like intentional too. how like uh, Lily's mom is um, from a family who speaks Cantonese and has been in the country for couple generations. Whereas um, Lily's dad is um an immigrant, like a more recent immigrant who came to study and he's from Shanghai. So like a different part of and like how that even that dynamic is played out. Um, and just like how her friend um, has an even different story where it's like multiple family members living in the same house and they're restaurant workers. And just like that picture that's painted. Um, and like, that's very real. Um, and very much like, yeah, something that's like, because I mean, also because it's like a historical piece, it's also very like, well researched and um, really, um, <laughs> like the back matter in this thing is so great. <laughs> um, one of the one of the really amazing things about this book is that back matter um, with the bibliography and just like the commentary on like, why Melinda Lowe chose to do certain things with this book. But even with the storytelling, it's just that like that was important to add to make this uh, very much like a full picture of what living in the 50s in San Francisco in Chinatown was like. And that, that's like, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I agree with you with um, when I started reading it, I wasn't quite expecting um, as many uh, references, you know, to go and dig and 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 I mean, 
you know, I'm, I'm not Asian and I'm not going to pretend to know things uh, that I don't. And it was interesting to see that this also served as a pedagogical tool for the mm-hmm. reader, you know, and like it definitely gave me the impression that like, hello, let us remove one book from the 50s starring uh, that only, you know, centers around a certain type of narrative. And let's like move away from that and use this and also use this as an interesting, I found an interesting tool for integration um, and the way that this Mm -hmm. book could be used as a way to talk about the stigma also of being a double minority, which is being queer within a marginalized community already, Mm -hmm. which is so complex (laughs) and, and tends to, and is, is, you know, in an intersectional framework, it's, it's doubly oppressive and triply because she's a girl. So, Mm -hmm. you know, she ends up being the minority of a minority of a minority of a minority of a minority. And, and that weighs heavy on this like 16, 17 year old character Mm-hmm. who, you know, all she wants, and I love that she wants to fit in. That's all she wants. She doesn't want to stick out like a sore thumb. Her yep. group of friends, you know, she's interested in getting to know folks, but she's still a little reserved. The college yeah. crowd, a little scary, you know, until she meets Kathleen. Mm. And then I think that this is, there's this, this, uh, I love this story. So Kathleen is another girl in school who is an advanced math and she and Lily have been in classes together for quite some time. And, and I love the fact that, like, you know, they're seniors in high school and they only met when they got to high school because their junior highs were so divided up by, like, segregated within their own communities. And they end up in a larger high school, which mm-hmm. is, you know, very, I think all of us or at least a lot of us can sort of relate to that step of walking into school and seeing all these men and women. But what they have in common is a deep love of science. That creates a really interesting bond between them that obviously, like, listen, if you don't get where I'm going with this, like, this blossoms into, like, some some interesting romantic entanglements, shall we say. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting to see that because... These girls are talking about wanting to be computers, you know, like they, they want to be computers and mm-hmm. do the math. It's like, hey, I have an aunt who was a wasp and Kath- uh, Kathleen really wants to be a pilot, uh, like her aunt who was a wasp. Mm-hmm. So uh, part of a, uh, a military unit where it was female pilots and things like that. And, and that's fascinating. Right. And it's like, hey, 60, 70 years later, we're still trying to break down that glass ceiling. Cool, 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 cool. Like, I found it very relatable to today's Mm -hmm. time. You know, this idea of like, you must be seen in a certain way and you can't be seen with the wrong people. It made me think of social media. It made me think of social media mm-hmm. and it made me think of like what I used to call the, the African anti-connection, um, which I'm sure exists in every single culture, which is like, for example, I will post something on Facebook and one of my aunts and uncles in Africa will see it and they will call my mother who lives like 20 minutes away from me. And then my mother will call me and be like, your aunts and uncles are talking. What have you done? <laughs> kind of thing. And this idea of like, you have to, you know, I, I need you to represent the family well outside mm-hmm. of the household so that we can continue advancing, you know, our own causes and our, our, our desire to fit in and our desire to make change by fitting in. And oh, it's such a relatable book. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how you were, uh, I like how you brought up the intersectionality of it too, um, because I think that's a big piece of it, um, of it being this like I think that has to do with like why the setting is like San Francisco and Chinatown, like it, it's it yeah, and like the things that Lily has to experience while she's figuring all of this stuff out. And how I like that how I like how like aware she is too. Um, just like her as a character, she's very much like she's kind of taken in her surroundings. Um, and she may be naive about certain things and just like not understand. But like it was never a it, it's never really like a thing about how she's like, I'm learning to like A, B, C, D, like as in like we're learning with her and she knows nothing but no it's like her experience so she does know something and I think like that's really empowering like she knows like she knows things like hey this is my neighborhood and if you go outside of this neighborhood I might not be welcome anymore or like she doesn't understand like she's very confused by like like her developing relationship and um, things like that because she hasn't experienced them before but she is also sure of herself at the same time like she knows like this is who she is it's never a question of like why do I like this girl you know like it's not it's like she's so also just unapologetically herself too Um, and that's what I found refreshing about it like you mentioned trauma porn earlier and I was like this is not it because you're not feeling sorry for her. You're not pitying her. Like she doesn't, she doesn't need that because she knows like that's who she is. This is her identity. Like she may be figuring it out, but like, but there's no question of who she is. Like you're not mm. sitting there and you're not going like, Oh, but are you sure? Like that's what you want. Like, are you sure you want to be a female computer? Are you sure you want to like, <laughs> you want to um, go to that club? Are you sure? Like, no, like she's very determined. And that's, I think that was, that's really powerful. Like when you talk about like, uh, female leads in a historical fiction like that like you see that like it's always the like girl who's like you know like I'm different from like the like <laughs> the like community that I'm in um, I feel that difference and that's kind of what makes me like you know pursue x y and z but like this kind of flips that script a little bit or like makes it a little more um nuanced so yeah I think that's just like perfect (laughs) oh yeah I echo that a hundred percent and I just listening to you I was like oh it's interesting how you know she wants to belong to her community but she's also really comfortable standing out uh not so much standing out as being different but she's also very comfortable with knowing that she herself is different than you know within her best friend than mm-hmm. than her siblings than this and that and and that self-assuredness I found it really appealing like I, I don't want to use the word sexy but like in the sense that as as a romantic lead I found that really appealing for this character I was like mm-hmm. I would date her in a heartbeat you know and and I think that this discovery because 
it's not so much that she discovers her gayness. It's that there is a discovery of the erotic that happens that I find really Mm. fun, right? Because it really centers around the character discovering her pleasure and find Mm -hmm. having these little, you know, these little aha moments where she's just like, Ooh, this ad speaks to me. And then you realize that she, you know, like you, you start to unwrap this world where, you know, people like Catherine Hepburn is very important to her. And, 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 you know, she has this, this affinity for, for these, I mean, canon lesbian models today. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And through that, we get this really nice mirroring of her marginalization as an Asian American character you know we get that mirrored within her marginalization as a queer character in an asian community and then you know so we get to we really get to see you know she stands out in school because she's very good in sciences and that's not what teachers really want you to be and and you have to handle the fact that maybe your your math teacher is going to be rough on you because you're the only girl in class and things like that and it's very particular right she she sticks out and blends in yet sticks out and wants to be, yeah, she's she's just a good character. I just, I would date this character. I relate. She made me think of Anna <laughs> Schlemsky in uh, My Girl with Macaulay Culkin. Like yeah. that kind of like very strong, like I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to discover who I am and I'm going to be unapologetic about who I am. And, and that's so fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Also, okay. So I love, I love a good coming out story. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Uh, I'm I'm into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something really fun about the tone being set from page one where mm-hmm. her attraction and her interest in looking at other women and sort of appreciating the 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 beauty and the voluptuousness of women and things like that. It's so interesting to not see it as like there's so many possibilities for that to turn into a very kind of patronizing way of looking at things where she's just like, oh she's really pretty. I'm not really pretty. Ugh. Like she's like, that's not the thing. It's it's so I want to say like smoky and jazzy, like, <laughs> like I, I just like I kind of wanted to, it. I really wanted to listen to this book on audiobook. Um, mm. Hello, audiobook services. If you would like to sponsor our podcast and maybe uh, throw us some credits, I'd love that because this is a book that I would have listened to with like I would have like started smoking again and just like enjoyed the like I all all I wanted was like smoky jazz like maybe a bit of a glass of scotch maybe I think I'm Don Draper I don't know um but it just (laughs) there's something really sexy in the air of this book there might it might be also some of the no I think so it's the danger of getting caught yeah maybe yeah I think that that part of I think was unexpected I was really expecting just kind of like a run-of-the-mill like girl meets girl like they're in high school like fall in love like but there was something I think it really had to do with like the backdrop of like them going to the club um and then meeting like the whole cast of characters that culture um which I mean I knew nothing about um but like is still kind of like culture that I have seen like little remnants of So I went to an all-women's college, um, and, like, that whole, like, baby butch, like, 
baby gay thing is real. And like, I definitely saw that play out with the first years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, like, and that was always like, exciting to see people like, you know, like learn terminology, learn, like cult, the culture and like, found family. I have to say, like, there was this really great moment where you kind of see a picture of found family that happens during Lunar New Year. And like, if you know anything about Lunar New Year, it's definitely a family holiday. And so I don't know if Melinda Lowe did that on purpose. And I feel like she did because like a lot of a lot of what this book is was intentional. Um, And like, I thought that was really powerful. Like, found family for Lunar New Year's. So yeah, like I just I I felt that cult, like the culture, the realness of that culture, of that community. Like we talked about like she does a really good job of describing the Asian American community, but she does also a really great job of describing what the queer community was like in San Francisco at this time and and then like her putting an Asian American woman in that. Like connecting all the dots like uh so good. Yes. I feel like oh, there was a lot of like, while I was reading it, there was a lot of me going snapping fingers and be like, oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I was super into that. Um, and it started for me, actually, when um, there's a there's a really sweet moment where um, they get this hint that they that Kathleen and, and, and Lily are not the only ones. You know, like we often have this sense of like, we are the only queers in anywhere. And they're sitting in a park and they're having this, you know, this this conversation. It felt very Pride and Prejudice like where like they were having this conversation that had like a bunch of subtext. And I was like, I love it. And then they see this group of women who look like I think the description like they 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 look free and just like casually flirty with one another and I was like oh take me to this land you know and this sense of like they're st- they're both staring and then they both get embarrassed at the same time but the folks that they're staring at aren't embarrassed and they mm-hmm. are okay kind of uh, you know, walking to the beat of their own drum and living their truth and, and all of that. And I, I I just, everything about this book is intentional to make you feel like you are a part of something. And I find that really interesting because I know a good, I, I know a pretty good deal about the, about the queer community, but I knew very little about the Asian American or the Chinese American community mm-hmm. in the U.S. And so I found it really interesting. I find it really interesting that we both kind of like, Hey, it's like we're swapping cultures and like we're learning about the other culture that that we were missing out on. Mm -hmm. And it creates a point of relation. I think that this is a story for anyone who's felt marginalized. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is a book that that gives a really good example without it falling into the pits of like, I'm so lonesome and everything Mm -hmm. is terrible because I'm gay. Yeah. Because knock knock, unless you've been living under a rock, us queers tend to have more fun um, just because I said so. Um, no, but um, but but queerness when it's celebrated is something yeah. that is so magnificent. The same way that like ethnic culture, like ethnic background culture, when that's celebrated, it's so excited because it's like you know where you're coming from mm-hmm. and you can start getting an idea of where you want to go, right? Yeah. It's, it's being anchored in something 
clear and concrete. I love that. Also, I hope that this book makes RuPaul realize that drag race should not just be drag queens, but Mm. that we should also get drag king representation. I think that that's like, I think I'm realizing that when I was saying that there was something really sexy about this book, you know, the 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 whole aspect of drag culture and of uh you know folks who cross dress and and having this safe you know this this book is set right after uh you know queers are allowed to congregate uh in in certain designated areas which kind of blew my mind um you know and to know that this is a space where you can come and you can be you mm-hmm. and then I had this like amazing image like it's very like Marlena Dietrich like uh kind of kind of male impersonator um that just kind of sweats sex appeal mm. but through charisma and intelligence and 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 sort of this it's a bit more highbrow than like you know sort of like subsistence you know there's there's an artistic element it's intentional mm-hmm. on the part of the creators which means doubly intentional on the part of Melinda hello whom I love mm-hmm. um Melinda Lowe if you come to Montreal I'm going to take you out on a friend date uh and I want to pick your brain because I want to learn everything that you know because wow wow wow, 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 wow. Yeah. there I said it <sighs> got it off my chest it's out there now <laughs> it's out there yeah. Um, what, uh, Eunice, what is like a cultural thing that you had that you discovered like in life and that kind of like took on some space? Like I'm uh, you don't I'm not asking for you to come out or anything uh, on, on air because that's not the goal. Uh, but what I mean is, like, have you ever fallen into like a fandom and you're like, oh, my God, I'm home? <laughs> this is a great question. Why don't you go first? Because I need some time to think about it. Yeah, for sure. I think I felt that once very distinctively uh, when I started doing improv. That for me is discovering like the the community of comedians in Montreal, especially, you know, queer BIPOC comedians, uh, you know, and, and there are some great guys uh, as well. Uh, but I think falling into that made me feel like, oh, I have found my people. I remember going to an improv party uh, and walking in and and I was super anxious because I'm someone who lives with anxiety. And I walked in and I was like, oh, everyone is standing in corners and actively sort of avoiding everyone else. But then as soon as like, you know, one or two beers hit, everyone was like, okay, I've been dying to ask you a question. Like, you're a very nice person. Can we be friends kind of thing? And I was like, oh, this is where my people are. We're all slightly awkward you know, kind hearted, but clumsy. Uh, And I I (laughs) fell in love. Yeah, that was it for me. I get bits and pieces of this. um, But more recently, I've really been um, like, I've always been a romance reader. um, And uh, like, whether it be like, capital R romance like it's a romance novel or like romance elements in books like obviously that's kind of where it started but I think more and more recently I've kind of become more unapologetic about it where like um you know it's like that's my genre like I that (laughs) that's what makes me happy and that's like that's the type of book that I'll be reading most days you know um and 
Yeah, like, and it's great, like, to see that also, like, through um, Bookstagram and people that <laughs> people that I've met recently who also are like unapologetic romance readers and just like the like just the just um, like I really like it because it's about like storyline of two people falling in love and like figuring out their shit um, mm-hmm. and there's something really cathartic about like figure seeing that on page but then also knowing that it's gonna work out in the end like because that's the thing with romance it's like there's a happily ever after um and like not to say that like there are no problems there are no like issues like the whole point is that there are problems but you kind of like you choose love right and there's something so like magical and something empowering about that that like yeah that like I just feel very seen by it you know I love that I love that bookstagram I I I love bookstagram um I I love it I just I had to unsubscribe from many hashtags um because I have a bit of a book buying problem (laughs) yeah and I wish I had infinite storage. Also, I moved once and realized that uh, when you own a lot of books, moving, that's challenging. But then you take the books out of the box and it's very exciting. And you're just like rediscovering each each one of your friends, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I relate to that. Yeah. Um, and, so all in all, yeah, yeah go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and the, the other thing I, that I wanted to say about that, like the other piece of romance is the sex positivity, right? Like it's not always there. But like, you know, like, it's also a big part of it. And like, that's something that I'm, I've been more kind of like, thinking about thinking through like, what that means, and like, what it means to like, be sex positive and be um, like, yeah, see that represented on the page and see that celebrated. But yeah. yeah, some consent, some, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, this is a fun one. I want to say that this is probably a book that I'll revisit during the summer. It feels like uh like it's it's an informative book, but my oh my would um I devour it sitting on the edge of a pool. Mm. Sort of like it made me it made me think back to like summer camp days like of just like being a camp counselor and on the edge of the pool kind of watching all my my little minnows and uh you know but like sort of wanting that feeling again of like sitting by a pool maybe I'm ready to become a parent one day or something mm. <laughs> maybe this is what mm-hmm. I'm learning but like I just kind of want to sit around a pool and lazily read this book while also doing something mm. else and like sipping a iced tea probably spiked with a lot of booze and just enjoying it's it's a book to enjoy it really Mm -hmm. really is a book to enjoy and it unfolds beautifully yeah absolutely and just chock full of information that's like so important and so well researched so well put together that like yeah yeah with a really nice reference list which I think that like let's be honest like I, I don't think I've seen a whole bunch of YA novels that have as extensive of a reference list at the end of it. Um, and I thoroughly appreciate that as, mm-hmm. as a nerdy nerd to be able to, to, to go and dive and learn more and, and really try to build this world in my head. 
um, and not to overly romanticize it, you know, like it's, this book has a really good firm grasp on, you know, what it, what reality feels like for a teenager and yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, like, I like your whole idea of, like, diving into a culture, like, being immersed in a culture or, be like, that's how, like, the learning aspect of it, um, of how, like, you find your fandom, you find your whatever, and that's how you kind of learn more about yourself and who you are as a person. And that's very much also, like, I feel like a teenager, young adult thing, too. Um, And so to have like have this book (laughs) and like finding it on the shelf like at a library or something and then opening it and reading it and you're like oh like I really see myself on the page or like I see like someone else on the page but I'm curious to find out more about it and that just sparking that interest of like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do the research or I'm gonna like really do a deep dive into this culture or into like you know like this community or you know and find a a find out something about myself like that's that's kind of how it starts right like you know that's how you find bits and pieces of yourself so yeah yeah. by being brave and putting yourself out there I love this this is a great book with a great message folks run out read it (sighs) Melinda Lowe I love you (laughs) I think I got my first like Oh, this like it kind of poof ripped my 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 chest hole open and uh, let my heart to feel some stuff. I'm into it. All right, shall we wrap this up? Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, please say hi. Send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast and individually, I'm at unicorn reads a book. Um, and that's unicorn with the e on Instagram. Mm. And I'm Caddy uh, at du- uh, I'm at Caddy double underscore d. Wow, I can't even say my own handle. That's awesome. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shout out, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Erica Stutchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenho, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emmett Cameron. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. Yeah, get some. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. I would say um, any budding historian in your life uh, will probably really dig this book. Mm-hmm. Or any lover of romance. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Caddy Diop, that's me, and Ooh. edited by Tom Zalatani. Hi, Tom, as part of the Upford Network. You can, you can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Bye-bye. 
I'm October Jones, Hi, and this I'm is... I'm Fish with Legs. I'm a fish I'm with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. <laughs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. I'm Tom Zalatni, executive producer of the Upford Network and host and producer of Up for Discussion, a podcast about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. But wait, isn't Up for Discussion a comedy podcast? It sure was, but things change. It's a food show now, and it's a very, very good food show. Every week, I dig into a different ingredient, dish, meal, or cuisine with help from friends and guest experts who know way more about this stuff than I do. Do you like food? Of course you do. You're a person. So you will like this show. Go listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Up for discussion. It's a food podcast now. Brought to you by the Upford Network.